0: Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio, here in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose driven companies. My guest today is Ryan Bethencourt, CEO and founder of Wild Earth, a biotech pet food company that uses plant and fungi based proteins to help pave the way for environmental restoration, humane animal treatment, and clean. Protein alternatives. In some ways, you could think about this company as the beyond meat of the pet food industry. From Chief Science Officer Ron Shigeta's basement to a Shark Tank deal with Mark Cuban, we're going to talk about that as well. Wild Earth has continued to grow and innovate since its founding in August 2017, just two years ago. With high carbon emissions from factory farms, mistreatment of animals, increasing ingredient contamination leading to food recalls, the pet food industry continues to be one of the leading factors in negative environmental impacts and increased risk in pet health. So that's where Wild Earth comes in. Alongside a team of scientists and veterinarians, Ryan started the company with a mission to change this negative foundation of the pet food industry into something far more positive. So what's really interesting about Ryan, actually there's a lot of things that are interesting about Ryan, is that he's also a very passionate biotech entrepreneur. He's founded three different biotech companies over his career. He's invested over 100 companies at this point. He's helped now by his partnership at Silicon Valley VC firm Babel Ventures. Also a co-founder at Berkeley Biolabs, Halpin Neurosciences, Countercultural Labs, and Pseudo Room, Ryan has dedicated himself to the betterment of people's and animals' lives. On top of that, Ryan also happens to be a vegan. I'm staring at him in studio right now. He's 40 and he looks like he's 20. He's a proud dog dad like me, and he's passionate about pet and animal advocacy with a focus on helping developing sustainable and cruelty-free pet food products. Ryan Bethencourt, welcome to Brand on Purpose.
1: Thank you, Aaron. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: So when you're 80 years old, you'll have developed, I don't know, invested in 200 companies and you'll look like you're 50.
1: Yeah, and hopefully it's exponential. So for me, it's like... Can I turn 100 into 1,000 in 10 years? That's the vision.
0: But by then, we'll be able to just freeze ourselves, right? And then come back in some form or something like that. Come back.
1: And it's like, oh, wow, all these companies, they've transformed our world. This is great. (laughs) It's like green, forested, jungled world with just a couple of mega cities in the middle. And everybody's happy. And everyone's happy. Everything's sustainable. The species have come back. So,
0: yeah. So you have a really interesting background. I want to talk about the Mark Cuban Shark Tank thing, but your background is in neuroscience. When I look on your LinkedIn profile, you've got all sorts of different degrees and certificates, son of Cuban immigrants, and you have done so many things. What led you to developing Wild Earth? And I should say that, I mean, this is so of the moment. Just yesterday, there was a headline in USA Today, can your dog be vegan? That quickly caught my attention.
1: Yeah, it's a very topical thing. I mean, I don't think two years ago when we were starting Wild Earth, we could have predicted that Beyond Meat's IPO would have just created this really intense interest in plant-based diets for humans. We're now starting to see that with pets. Originally, the idea behind it was just both the health and the environmental impact of factory-farmed meat, low quality of the meat that was going into the animal's diets. I just thought we had to do something better. And as a biotech scientist, I looked at this, having been involved in a whole bunch of human food companies, so helping to get companies like Memphis Meats off the ground, Finless Foods, New Way Foods, which make plant-based shrimp, cell-based meat companies like Shiok Meats, and obviously... Memphis and Finless, And you're a dog lover. And I'm a dog lover. Grew up with pretty much every animal you can imagine as well. At one point in time, we had a monitor lizard, weirdly enough. That was very strange. (laughs) It It ate dog food, weirdly. Miami was very odd for just the amount of tropical type animals that were around. Obviously, today I would not have a monitor lizard because I don't think it's fair to the animal itself. But yeah, I mean, I was just really inspired to make a huge impact for the animals. And I thought, let's start with those that really transform our lives personally. In the U.S., 70% of households actually have a pet at home, but they account, and this is really shocking, they account for 30% of the meat consumption we consume in the U.S., one-third. So it's a huge number. And if we care about the environment, sustainability, and obviously the well-treatment of animals, especially those that are factory farmed, I was like, why is no one really tackling this challenge? At scale. And so I was in the human food. I pitched a whole bunch of VCs that I knew in Silicon Valley and angel investors. Most of them said no, they actually didn't care about the pet space. And that just made me more focused to actually really transform pet food for our best friends.
0: Sure. How long have you been a vegan?
1: I've been a vegan now for over 10 years.
0: And did you start as a vegetarian and then move over to vegan?
1: I did. I was actually a pescatarian. By the way, I still love the taste of meat, I love the taste of fish. I'm like a vegan that loves meat. Do you ever cheat? No. Actually, so I'll take that back. I don't know if I cheat, and I'll describe why I don't know if I cheat.
0: Well, sometimes you don't know really what you're being given.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. But So I've had cell-based meat. I don't know if you're familiar with cell-based meat. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so cell-based meat is meat grown in a bioreactor. So it's slaughter-free meat. It's actually meat. It's not plants. Nobody died. Nobody died to (laughs) make the meat. It really just transforms everything because then what is that, right? And we've had all sorts of philosophical debates about is it vegan? Is it not vegan? Is it vegetarian? Is it not vegetarian? It's meat, but it's slaughter free meat. So it just defies convention.
0: And I think I've seen you on a video eating the dog food. I have. Yeah. So does it taste like meat? Because one of the things about Beyond Meat for humans that's been so successful is that it kind of tastes like meat. Like I enjoy it. It tastes like meat, but it's not meat. Yeah. I know you can't ask a dog, but you can get the feedback that they're eating it, that they probably like it.
1: I've eaten lots of different types of kibble. <laughs> so, some <laughs> some may have been meat-based just to get a feel for things. It tastes very much like conventional kibble. That was one of the reasons we actually made it high protein. So the kibble itself is actually high protein. It's comparable to like ancestral diets, the high-end, high-quality meat-based products, but it's 100% plant-based.
0: So you go on Shark Tank And just for our listeners, I loved your five things I learned from going on Shark Tank. It's very humble. I think there's some interesting lessons there. One of the things you talk about is having to really, even though you're a good presenter, you're a very personable guy, but you had to rehearse your script. And that it's not 10 minutes because that's edited down, but it's like 40 minutes. And they give you shit. Like they clown you because they want to see, they want to see what you're made of. What was it like going on? By the way, not having any sales yet, right? Yeah, we had no sales.
1: So we got on. Actually, the whole process was just a really long process. I had to keep auditioning for us to make sure it was interesting. And I realized that I wasn't an actor. Learning my lines, that pitch right at the front is actually pretty hard. And you have to nail it. You have to nail it. And you have to nail it when you walk into a room, which it looks like you're just in a room where all the sharks are at. But actually, it's a studio. So you have all the cameramen and women and lighting, everything in the background moving, as well as the sharks who are messing with you. You start pitching and they start messing with you. And so I got myself into a mental state. I do a lot of this kind of, actually athletes do it. I, I know you're an Ironman. And so I basically visualized walking in, pitching, closing the Sharks. My dream was to close Mark Cuban. And he seemed very disinterested pretty much throughout. He asked a bunch of really hard questions. That's part of the shtick too, right? Yeah. He so like, yeah. Yeah. The Sharks were really hard on me. And actually, Mr. Wonderful actually was the funniest He started talking about dogs eating our food. Would they transform and start wearing Birkenstocks and tie dyes? (laughs) Right, right. I just had to explain there's a common misconception that dogs are carnivores. They're not. They're omnivores like us. And so they can survive and thrive on a plant based diet just like us. And so that was really the main message that I want to convey to America. It's really important that you remember when you're on there, you're not just talking to the sharks. You're talking to, when we aired, I was talking to 3.7 million people who were watching live on the air that night.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I think and that was your first time doing that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're a very experienced serial entrepreneur and you've been in very high pressure sales presentations where you're raising money and funding and things like that. And this is probably the one of the hardest things you've ever done. Yeah, most definitely.
1: Most definitely. The amount of pressure on that, because it really mattered to not just me, my whole team. And so a lot was riding on that pitch. I just step one was make sure not to mess up too badly. Step two was if we could close one of the sharks, that would be transformative for our
0: business. And thankfully we did. And this is a couple of years ago. So it was before Beyond Meat and also before these other startups like we use Farmer's Dog or my friend, a former client is now head of Ollie. where there is also this movement more towards I want to know what my dog's eating and if I can't eat it, they shouldn't eat it. So you have that combined with the it can taste like meat, have the same benefits of meat without doing harm to the animal or to the environment. So it's almost like a perfect storm for you right now.
1: It really is. I don't think you could have predicted it looking back two years ago. What would have been happening in the pet food space? We're seeing it, people are calling it the humanization of pet food. People are looking at what they eat, they're looking at what their pets eat, and they're like, oh, I see that there's a difference. This is a family member, we need to feed them better. And so part of my personal mission was, how can we help people feed them better, but yet make it affordable? So when you look at a lot of these fresh dog food companies, it's human food.
0: And this is Uh, dry food, right?
1: Wild Earth is our clean protein formula is dry. It's kibble. So it stores, you can have it stored for a month. It's really easy. It it keeps the convenience of kibble, but it's really focused on the clean protein. Whereas the other fresh food formulations, I mean, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen them when they get delivered. They're huge packages, lots of plastic, lots of styrofoam. And dry ice. Dry ice. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't really hit on the sustainability aspect. It hits on the healthier aspect for sure. And it's also really expensive. And so it's the-
0: crazy expensive. They are getting better on the packaging, I will say. So just yesterday, they have a kind of foam, probably you're familiar with this, where you can put a hose on it and it kind of disintegrates into the ground. Oh, wow. Which is pretty cool.
1: Oh, that is amazing. I'm not
0: trying to give a shout out to other companies. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But it has actually worked really well. And I will say, once we moved, so I have two huge, it's kind of classic golden doodles, Wally and Winnie. Wally often comes to the office when he not so much, he's got anxiety. Okay. <laughs> they're both super picky eaters. And once we moved to putting the fresh food on top of the kibble, their entire being changed. And not to get too gross about it, but as a dog, you can see it in their poop. And I'm sorry to say that, but like, you can see it. you're like, oh, good boy. That's a good one, you know, and they're not sick anymore. And it's amazing. And I think back to when I was a kid, we had two dogs. We had a lab and a bull mastiff. And my mom, every Sunday night, used to cook a stew for the dogs that would then get them through and it's just basic vegetables and chicken or meat that's it beef and that's what we did and somehow we moved to this processed food just like we have as humans and we've gotten away from those roots
1: yeah i mean when you look at the history of dogs it's absolutely fascinating i look at it as a scientist so i look back at the history of of our evolution so we our species homo sapiens are about two hundred thousand years old Dogs now, based on historical records, we think they co-evolved with us starting about 100,000 years ago. So previously it was about 10,000 years ago. Now it looks about 100,000 years ago. So it makes sense that they've co-evolved with us and their genetics are different to wolves. So when you look at their genetics, they actually have increases in the ability to do starch metabolism to basically digest starchy foods like vegetables and fruits like we do.
0: And it's a co-evolution that really happened. That's the theory. I promise this is my last poop reference, but... One of the reasons why, among many, that we have to pick up our dog poop, and then it's stupid because you pick it up so it doesn't go into our rivers and our streams and whatever, that it ends up probably somewhere in a plastic bag in a landfill. But one of the reasons I'm told we have to pick it up is because if they had a plant-based diet, it would just be like manure and it'd be fine for the ground. So is that another benefit or is that weird science that yeah, I'm just yeah, making up?
1: I, I think that's weird science. Yeah. So I mean, it's not I, like
0: cows and cow patties and manure. It's definitely no no. So no, the it's digestive different. systems yeah. are different.
1: I mean to be honest, you could use both as manure if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it. Well, that could be a sense. side business though. Yeah, could you could be, have a manure business <laughs> on the yeah, side. It could be right. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, dog manure, I don't know if that has a ring to it, but dogs are omnivorous. And so usually their diets, pretty much all dogs, unless they're on like raw meat diets, will have a mixture of vegetables, fruits. And
0: I think that raw meat diets crazy. Yeah, I had a friend who did it. And the first two years of the dog's life, it was fine. And then after that, it was a disaster. And she got very sick. All takes is that one parasite, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the big concerns is, I don't know if you've seen recently, there's a company selling raw pig's ears. So a bunch of not just dogs, but their pet parents got salmonella from literally just holding the raw meat product. And so what's interesting is we've, we've actually had a lot of customers actually starting to switch across. So we just launched Wild Earth Clean Protein Dog Food. And we've had, even though it's a 100% plant-based product, it's high protein. So we're seeing people who want clean protein, like raw food or high-quality ancestral diets, switching across. It's really kind of surprising, but it kind of makes sense. Like I've talked to several actually raw food store owners and they said their customers want something better for their pets. Right. Like you said, they're family members. They're family members. And how is business? It sounds like
0: it's going really well. Yeah, so
1: we launched about a month ago. We've had really great traction. We previously had treats. That's a good way to test it. Yeah, it's a good way to test it. Our business has been growing, obviously, from a relatively low base because we just launched, but about 50% per month, which is really nice. Yeah. Still very early.
0: And you're manufacturing here in the States? We are, yes. You're out on the West Coast?
1: Yeah, so we do our prototyping on the West Coast. And then actually, we do our manufacturing in the Midwest.
0: Awesome. What about a kosher product? So I ask because, this is funny, I'm going to admit this, but I've been listening to a couple of Jewish podcasts recently. Judaism Unbound, Unorthodox, for those my tribe members out there are looking for some, it's this time of year, we're about to go into a new year. So one of the questions was, if you're Jewish and you're kosher, should your dog be, is your dog Jewish? Is your dog kosher? And there are some people who only want to be able to feed their dogs kosher food. And I was thinking, isn't, veganism and vegetarianism that could easily translate to being kosher or halal right easily it's very linked i actually have a good friend of mine who's a rabbi his work was
1: really spreading peace through food he was 100 percent plant-based and so he actually made a uh, plant-based sushi and so he would employ former convicted felons in san francisco and really help them transform their lives but bringing kosher to the mainstream plant-based movement was something he was very passionate about. And so this is actually a question I've had a couple times now around kosher and halal dog food with Wild Earth. That's something I think definitely I want to work towards. I don't see why we couldn't do that as it plant-based should be kosher, should be halal. Obviously, we don't have the certification yet, but we're going to work towards it. But you that. know people. Yeah, and I know people. I, <laughs> you know, I might be able to get a few uh, certifications here and there. Right? <laughs>
0: right now you're selling online? We
1: are. So we're selling online. So our dog food is available now online. Our treats are available in about 100 different stores across the U.S., including actually here in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, all the major cities, and some really great smaller towns as well. That was actually thanks to Shark Tank as well. And we're available online for our dog food. Our small and large bags are available
0: online at wildearth.com. Right. And how did you actually—I know on the outset, to the uninformed, let's just say— It probably looks easy to create this, but there's a lot of science and a lot of trial and error and probably a lot of frustration that goes into it. What was that like just creating the actual product itself? Because if you launched a month or two ago, you've been in business since 2017. The reason why is because you needed to get this right. A hundred percent.
1: So it was way harder than I first thought. You know, I've been a biotech entrepreneur, a food entrepreneur for a long time now, and I'd assumed that it would be a fairly straightforward process to develop a dog food. But when you're developing a product where it literally is a complete diet, so the dog can literally eat our kibble, survive, and thrive. That has to be conditioned. Right, there's no
0: other supplement that's necessary. No other supplement. Or vitamins. We have
1: all the vitamins, all the minerals, all the amino acids that are absolutely necessary, and we actually supplement. So we go beyond what's minimum, and we supplement things like taurine, which are really important for dogs, and actually, interestingly enough, for us, B vitamins, various other things. So we make sure that we have the minimums and then we go above and beyond that because we really care first and foremost about the pet's health, longer, healthier lives, not just clean protein, but better products too. Sure.
0: And how did you test it? It was on your own dog mostly. I mean, I know you're eating it as well. And if you can also touch on the differences between, obviously the anatomy and our needs are different. What is it about dogs that they need that we don't necessarily need? That you needed to really focus on, or is it the same? It's pretty
1: much the same. It's pretty much the same. There are slight differences. Obviously, any veterinarians listening know that there are differences between canine biology and homo sapien biology, but they are omnivores like us, and so one of the really important things with developing this type of product is that we needed to make sure that our testing was done in a cruelty-free manner. That was actually one of the hardest things for us, so there was the formulation, which was actually some pretty deep science. Our head of development, my fellow co-founder, Abril Estrada, she led it with her team. She's a PhD scientist as well. She worked with our chief veterinarian, Dr. Ernie Ward, to develop it. So the formula was one part of the hard science. We had to make sure it was really high, high high-end formula, 21st century formula based on what we know about nutrition today. And that's a controversial space in general in the human and vet. And it always will be. Always
0: will be. Yeah. And pretty unregulated, unfortunately. Pretty pretty unregulated.
1: Although interesting enough, within pet food, it's actually pretty regulated because dogs need to be able to survive and thrive off the, the kibble that they eat. It's complete food. And so that is actually regulated. And so it's under AFCO, which is like the regulatory body that's FDA and AFCO. But the harder thing was, there were several hard things. I guess one of my favorite books, Ben Horowitz's book, a Hard Thing About Hard Things. Mm-hmm. Very meta. Yeah, very meta. The hard thing was actually developing cruelty-free testing. And so a lot of people don't know this, but for dog lovers in the pet food industry, when you see a new formula, a new flavor, many times those new formulas, new flavors, new dog foods are tested on lab
0: beagles. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, most of us didn't. Are those lab beagles being tested for other things or just? They may well be, yeah. I yeah. see. So these are animals that oh, are. Why beagles? That's so, oh. Because they're so sweet. Oh, yeah, they that's, are.
1: Unfortunately. So to me, I was like, wait a minute. Dog lovers do not know this, that there are large companies testing dog food on dogs and labs, beagles and labs. And so we really wanted to make a change in the industry. So for us, we're a company, but we're really a mission wrapped in a company. We want to make the pet food industry 100% cruelty-free. That goes from where our products come from and sustainable too, but where our products come from all the way through to testing. And so we have not done anything other than volunteer testing. So we actually reached out.
0: Well, I guess it's the pet owner that (laughs) volunteers the the, the dog. Yeah, (laughs) the pet owner
1: who volunteers the dog. And my typical rule is I will always test the food first. So myself and my team will always eat the food before we give it to any of the dogs. And I've eaten lots of it. So that's the starting point. It's like, if it's good enough, it's got to be good enough for me before we even started. So what did
0: you put like an ad out on Craigslist? Like how did you get?
1: Yes, it turned out it was actually pretty hard. So we had to actually really innovate on how this is done and we actually worked with Professor at the University of Oklahoma, really helped us a lot with developing a structure, running a whole bunch of different volunteer testing around everything from the flavor of the food, because obviously different kibble has different flavorings all the way through to longer term studies to look at like how did they do? like week one, week two, week three, so
0: right. So you're actually giving them checkups, like your
1: checkups exactly. We're checking in on them, see how they're doing. So- Does that
0: include, I said a no more poop, but like stool samples. And- yeah, you have to. I mean, that's actually... That's my last poop reference. I yeah, I no, 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 going, but, you know, but it's appropriate. Poop and pets go yeah, together, right? It does, so, it does. So we're always
1: looking at poop. And actually, even with our treats, we looked at poop. We actually were able to increase... I have to be very careful when I say this, because I have to be very specific around the science. You're so, not going to talk about corn and poop, right? No, no, okay, no I'm not okay. going to talk... We, I thought you were, we're going to go there. Yeah, we are able to increase the microbial diversity of the gut, which is generally seen as a good thing with our treats and our food. But as many things in the gut microbiome, this is still evolving science. We think that's a good thing, the general scientific right. We consensus. don't even know
0: if in humans, the microbiome thing is still very new. We right. don't,
1: yeah. And it gets really weird when you start to dive deep into the science of the microbiome because uh, bacteria can swap around and exchange DNA. So you don't even know which species you're dealing right, with. Right, and sometimes. they might have
0: been drinking from a puddle two minutes before eating, which completely changes everything.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. So it's tricky, but we're trying to, so we're at an early starting point, obviously, but we want to add more and more science to our products. We really think we transform the nutritional health of all of our pets with better and better science.
0: It's amazing. I did not realize that. There are like these lab beagles that are being used by all these pet food companies.
1: Yeah. yeah, we want to change that. And there are definitely some companies that don't do that as well. But we really want it to make it as a, and this will be something as we grow, we'll be campaigning around this more and more. We want the entire industry to move away from testing on dogs and labs. We don't think that's acceptable. Same thing for cats. As we look to release cat products, we'll be doing the same thing in that space. That's a little more complicated, by the way. It's probably biotech. And so we really wanted to have a revolution, a cruelty-free revolution in pet food, just like we've seen in cosmetics and in food.
0: So let's talk about cats for a second. I don't hate cats. Yep. But I'm very allergic, which definitely creates some tension between me and cats. Yes. And I love dogs, okay? But I recognize and I appreciate people who love cats. Is it as simple as it is with dogs? Can you just be like, well, if it works for dogs, it works for cats? Or is that the anatomy and the biology is totally different? It's more complicated. Well, cats are complicated. (laughs) Cats are complicated. And quite independent too. Yes, very independently
1: minded. So I love dogs probably more than cats. I'm sorry to admit it. I have many of my team members at Wild Earth who love cats more than dogs, but we all love animals. So like being
0: coated in hair constantly?
1: Yeah, and they're cat moms and dads. And so they love cats. And honestly, there's some cats that I absolutely love i think cats are even more full of personality than dogs they're very specific some cats will love you some cats will hate you some will bite you some will scratch you some will cuddle you but their biology is very different so they are what's called obligate carnivores so they are a carnivore they're little lions right
0: right by the way just sorry to interrupt but you don't see bomb sniffing cats right or rescue cats just saying (laughs) so there's that but okay keep going yeah and
1: actually cats are less domesticated than dogs So they're still much more connected to the original wild nature. So they're less evolved to be domesticated to be with they haven't co-evolved in the same way dogs have they have not no they have not they've been around for a long time but we've kind of let them do their thing they hunt the mice and they kind of keep our grains that's because they
0: want to do their own thing that's
1: That's because they want to do their own thing thing. exactly sorry to ruin your yeah no no no. no. so there's some specific adaptions of a carnivore body that really have to be dealt with with biology and so as we're a biotech company we really think that we can transform this space so that we can have better foods that are also cruelty free so we've looked at cell-based meats we've actually made some some mouse meat for cats we haven't move forward we got a lot of feedback from pet parents that they just don't want to feed
0: their cats mouse meat but it's cell-based mouse meat? cell-based that's mouse fascinating meat. yeah so
1: slaughter free there were no mice killed for that meat. yeah so it's like the opposite of tom and jerry opposite of tom and jerry yeah it's infinite mouse but jerry can still keep living yeah so what we're looking at is we're looking at that as a product line for cats so a lot of cat parents really want something better something that's cruelty free something that's more sustainable and we're really looking at how we can develop better science there's also some other interesting alternative proteins that we're investigating that we may be able to use for cat products but it will be tailored to their biology and cats have several adaptions that you really have to be really careful with so and it would hurt them they cannot be on a plant-based diet
0: I did not realize that. Yeah, fully plant-based. There's actually biosynthetic things that you can do. You can supplement them with taurine. And like it's you fun. said, it doesn't mean that an animal has to die for them to live. It just means yeah. that you might have to use a cell-based... Yeah, we might have to use biotech. Which will yeah. require more investment. Yep. And yep. you want to nail the dog thing first. and For sure. And maybe, if not maybe, but when that really, really takes off, yes. you'll have mm-hmm. the funds to reinvest in cats. Exactly. I'm just trying to avoid getting any sort of cat... Hate. Now, yes. After, yes. <laughs> after this air, so, you know. we
1: love dogs and cats. They're different personality types. So I have had cats
0: growing up. I love cats. I actually, my dogs like to eat cats. It's a problem, but that's oh, for that, another discussion.
1: <laughs> the high prey drive. We've got is a lot a of feral
0: cats in the neighborhood, which is wrong because yeah. we're trying to capture and neuter neuter them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It never ends. It's very um, difficult yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I don't understand why rabbits have that reputation. It's really cats that are like the uh, uber horny ones that are just kind of multiplying all yeah, around love, the neighborhood. Yep, right. Yep, yeah. Yeah. It drives my dogs nuts. That's really interesting about the whole cat thing. And then what else beyond dogs and cats? I mean there's obviously a larger vision and and you're very focused right now, but what's gonna happen after that? So first
1: things first, we really have to, if all we do is create the category leader in sustainable, clean, high protein pet food, Wild Earth will be super happy with that. Obviously, if we're talking about a 10 to 20 year vision, this is for me, it's a personal quest to really make the world more sustainable and better for the people and the animals, I think that we can make better products, plant-based products, biotech-based products, that just really transform our world for the better. So part of naming Wild Earth Wild Earth is that we really want to rewild the world by using less land. That's very topical at the moment, obviously, with the Amazon burning. Most of that, I think, about 80% of that land that's being burnt down is going to be used for cattle farming.
0: It's amazing to me there hasn't been more backlash. So Notre Dame, the roof burned back in April. And a couple of countries and a couple of large corporations raised like a billion dollars to repair that. So we get a couple of countries together, the G whatever, and they're raising $23 million for the Amazon. I don't get it. And it's nothing against the cathedral. It's beautiful. But like, what is going to sustain us over time? And you do have to make a decision about what's more important. And I still think we have a long way to go. Like, There's definitely this kind of stay woke consciousness that's increasing. You saw at the Business Roundtable recently. Even just yesterday, I always hate to date these things, but it's important. Just yesterday, you had 145 companies sign a letter to Congress asking them to do more with gun control. So there's definitely a greater level of engagement and activism, even from corporations that was once taboo. So I do feel like we're onto something, but we still have a lot of work to do. And I love the fact that you built a company specifically around purpose. Like your vision is purposeful and it's kind of multidimensional. It's not just for the dog, but you're also educating humans along the way. Because I do think there's going to be this knock-on effect, like, well, if I'm feeding my dog this and look at them, maybe I need to rethink my own diet. I've tried. I start with meatless Mondays. I would try a cell-based meat. That's kind of interesting. I'm open to it. My triathlon coach went vegan. And, you know, first of all, he's like 60-something, and he looks like he's 40-something. And wow. he literally was able to see the reversal of his heart disease, which is genetic. has nothing to do with his lifestyle. The guy's very fit. He had his first heart attack when he's 49. And it was a widowmaker, and he survived. And you look at the way he's changed his diet to become vegan And he's literally reversed the heart damage. And you can see that in all of the different imageries and the different diagnostics tools that they've used to map his heart.
1: Actually, Bill Clinton did something similar. Oh, yeah, that's right. So Bill Clinton went on a plant-based diet. So he's famous for loving really greasy, delicious fried things. Yeah, he's a
0: southern food. That was his thing. Southern food, that was
1: his thing. And there's like videos of him talking about this. He talked to his doctor and he was like, doctor, I'll do anything. I want to see my grandkids grow up. And he said, why don't you try a plant-based diet? Plant-based diets, some of them have been associated with regression of what's called coronary plaque. So obviously, this is the plaque that clogs up our arteries. And he actually saw that. So he went on a plant-based diet. He apparently cheats a little bit, has a little fish here and there and a few things. He looks terrific. He looks great. He looks great. But for the most part, that's the whole point. I think perfection is the enemy of the good. If you can start, start. Start.
0: And it's a process. You don't have to go right away. No, you don't have to go no, all And the I way. was a pescatarian for
1: years cuz I still love the taste of How did you give up eggs? Eggs That's a hard one, the, one for me. Eggs was one of the harder ones.
0: I, I ate like a dozen eggs or more a week.
1: I loved omelets, like that was my thing. Like just a nice And omelet it is a whole morning. food to be fair. It is a whole food. Nobody
0: dies or nobody no, died because yeah. it's an unfertilized egg, yes, right? Yes.
1: Yes, but when you start looking behind how you make those eggs, suddenly you start realizing, "Whoa, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not cool with."
0: At least for me. What if you had your own chicken coop?
1: Yeah, it's a little different. Like, I think when people have their own little chickens at home and they eat their eggs...
0: You're not the kind of guy that's like a judgy kind no, of vegan guy. Never, never, you know, never, never. You're never, never. far more open-minded and very realistic about how the world works, which is nice. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that's part of the problem, right? The judgy vegans are kind of like, I know many. I love them a lot. We call them jeegans, the judgy vegans. Judgy vegans. Yes. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like I have many friends and family members who've a- approached me and they've been like, hey, I know you're not judgmental. I'd like to try this meatless Monday. How do I start? Like, just tell me. And you can start at Chipotle at the sofrito. Totally. It's really good. And they're great. <laughs> yeah. I love them. Yeah. By the way, that's my go-to. So if, good. I'm, yeah. if I'm in a random city, I look for the Chipotle and I go there and I have this Frida's, nice high protein meal. And so it's all about like being kind to yourself and to others. And I think that that's something that for those of us that are trying to create uh, sustainability changes, make things better for the animals on this planet, not just the factory farmed animals, but as a biologist, for me, I look at ecosystems. I look at the massive amount of destruction in the rainforest, and the forests, and the savannas that we're doing. And it is driven by
0: our insatiable demand and for me, but was it, so when you transitioned to becoming a vegetarian, was it one moment, an aha moment, or is it like a process? Like, did you have a friend or a family member or a doctor, or, or did you read something like what inspired you to do it originally?
1: So it was kind of shocking. So when I first stopped eating certain types of meat, I didn't stop eating hamburgers for a little while because I hadn't made the connection. and I loved going to Burger King or McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever else. My dad, so a son of two immigrants, my dad grew up on a farm in Cuba and he used to like to get fresh pork. And so he took me to get some fresh pork in Miami one time, and I saw a pig slaughtered in front of me.
0: Oh, yeah. There's yes. so much blood. I've seen it. You've seen it, right? Yes, when they drain it. It's, it's horrific. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. It, was, it was
1: so horrific. I was 10 years old at And the time. I do love
0: bacon. Even if you look in my Insta, there's actually a little two strips of bacon in my bio. Yeah, and by the way, I love bacon too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Still, by the way, afterwards, I still ate a little bit of bacon because it was just so tasty. But, But I was like, what just happened? I was like traumatized. And it took me a little while to figure out, like, actually – my choices matter. So where I put my dollars actually has an impact. And so it took me a little while to develop my philosophy around that. But I think that this is for many of us, we're all waking up to actually where you spend your money. If you buy wild earth versus buying a meat based product, that means you had an impact, you voted for something. Same thing with what you put on your plate. So everything we do everywhere we spend our money is a vote. Every dollar is a vote. And that took me a while to develop that philosophy. And then I started to realize, actually, I, I don't agree with doing this or if there's exploitation or if there's something that's ruining the, the Amazon. If I know about it, I can actually change where I put my dollars. Right,
0: right. I mean, the good news is that the world's becoming more transparent. So you're able to see more connections and see more connectivity. And there's a greater awareness around supply chain with this move towards ESG, which is like stupid letters, but that's what publicly traded companies go by now. They're being held accountable by their shareholders, not just their customers, not just consumers. But it is hard to be perfect in that way. So if you look at, and I wrote about this in my Forbes column, if you look at a very polarizing investor who's a Trump supporter behind Equinox and SoulCycle, does it mean you should give up your membership in Equinox and Cycle? That's kind of a hard thing to do, right? He doesn't directly manage the company. And by the way, I guarantee you, if you really put your entire life under a microscope, including how you traveled from San Francisco to New York to be here 100%. today, percent, there's a lot of things that are associated with other organizations and people that are polarizing, things that you might not agree with. But we don't live in a cave either. But I agree with you that there are still some other things that we do have control over. And a lot of it has to do with purchasing power and you can vote with your wallet and you can have decide what is tolerable and what's intolerable. And it's great that you're bringing a product to market. There's an option because as far as I know, you're, I mean, I know there's a few products out there, including, you know, you can try and home make something, you right? You can, you can, yeah. But I think this is amazing and I'm definitely going to try it with my dogs. I've got one dog who's like, Wally is like a huge meat lover, so.
1: Try it with Wally. Yeah, I'm going to try it with him yeah, first. Yeah. Winnie, <laughs> I could
0: be sitting eating a peach, and Winnie, you know the dog, does like it the was, whole head on your lap thing. But, just looking yeah, at looking you, at yeah. You. <laughs> and I'll literally, I'm that guy who'll share the peach, but like mouth to mouth with her, because yeah. I have no shame. Yeah, We yeah. love each other, we're yeah. good, and I don't think we've ever transmitted any sort of bacteria to yeah. each other that yeah. I'm aware of. So Winnie's going to be all for it, but we're
1: definitely going to try it. So there's some interesting science around exactly what you just described, about ba- sharing bacteria. Turns out it may be beneficial. So, you know how dogs I are making with Winnie? Yeah, well, Winnie's trying to like, does that lick mean your I'm face. Are cheating on my wife, or does that count? I uh, guess it does. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Sort of, I mean, yeah. Weird. It's kisses. It's kisses. Yeah, it's like kissing grandma. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> <Right>. exactly. <laughs> right. So, but their microbiome actually is helpful. There's some theories around it that because we've co evolved, they're actually, like, when they try and lick you, they're trying to pass on some
0: beneficial microbes as well. That's good because I was a C section baby, so I didn't get any of the good microbiome stuff. Ah, you we're know, well, coming. We go. Yeah, so maybe, maybe Winnie's helping you out. Yeah, yeah. So maybe tonight, Winnie and I need to share some more peaches. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Winnie and peaches. <laughs> Listen, man, it was great having you on. You know, thanks, Aaron. And just remind everybody how do we get your food? Yeah, so go to wildearth.com. So yeah. W I
1: L D earth.com one word and you can just order it right online we have some discounts at the moment for your first bag and so we'd love to hear from you people can always email me at ryan at wild earth.com. i love hearing from our customers so right.
0: and you can't hire any more ryan's
1: yeah we can't hire any more ryan's right. they have ryan to, yeah, too or, yeah, ryan change too. their name yeah actually i like that Ryan yeah. too. anyone that comes
0: after me is ryan right right cool. <laughs> thanks again good luck with everything thank you
1: this has been an episode of Brand On Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always-on-point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at theboppodcast.com, and learn more about our host at AaronQuickin.com.